Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital or you are looking to get your company acquired or just need some sound financial planning and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at PantheraAdvisors.com or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So I think that today we're going to be learning quite a bit. We're going to be learning about how to get inspired to really build a new business, how to really develop uh, the expertise and the skill sets over the course of time so that you can really go at it on your own, on your own terms and really have an idea of what the path forward looks like. But I guess without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest today, Chris Subramanian. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Alejandro, for having me on the show. So how was, how was life growing up in Chennai, in India? So I grew up in a middle-class family with a joint family with my uncles and grandparents and everybody else together. And that is, I, I, I'm an 80s kid. I grew up, uh, I was born in 1980 and it was a joint family setup. And I did my schooling in private school. There was a lot of emphasis on education, especially English education. Uh, so even though my parents, uh, it, it was... It wasn't bad, but at the same time, there was a lot of emphasis on making sure we were getting good education. I think so. I'm grateful for that. We went through that uh, private schooling. We did my B in Bachelor of Engineering in Computer Science. Leading up to that, in India, we have this joke that most people actually graduate uh, with engineering and figure out what to do in life. Uh, so that happened. <laughs> but uh, along the way, <laughs> uh, I think I also got a chance to, when I was in eighth grade, I had the opportunity to get a old uh, 386 uh, computer and started tinkering with it. And that's how I developed my interest towards computers, programming and all of that. So it was a natural choice for me, thankfully, to want to take up be Bachelor of Engineering in Computer Science. <laughs> so obviously in, in India, I mean, you were alluding to it, you know, which you, you study engineering and then you figure out what you do next. And, and, and that's actually <laughs> what happens there quite a lot because there's a lot of pressure around education. And that's why maybe there's so many engineers coming out, so many great engineers and also great entrepreneurs coming out of India. But, but, but what I'm thinking here is, you know, in this case, you went and worked at a startup, you know, right out of your university, right out of the studies, you know, instead of maybe going the more traditional path of working for a bigger firm. So why did you decide to take this route? Because it seems a little bit risky, given the pressure around the best education and the best uh, companies and so forth. I, I don't want to glorify that with uh, something that is not true, right? The, th the truth was this was 2001, 2002, right? When the entire economy, world economy was bad and IT services companies were not hiring. And given a chance, everybody would flock to a big name brand. But I was very fortunate when the founder and CEO of that company 
was someone that my family happened to know and he happened to come to the city and he just met me for half an hour and said okay uh, you seem to know all these programming languages and you seem to have this okay i have a company maybe i have a job for you just come and meet me in bangalore i just went to him he just gave me a chance like this was in 2002 and i'm very grateful that somebody took a chance in life to give me a chance to give programming job and it just so happened that i started uh, developing a product with him and we launched it uh, to for a government agency of all the things because governments are the slowest one we tend to think they adopt uh, uh, software slowly but we had an opportunity to develop the precursor for saas which is uh, i i don't know if you remember this thing called asp application service provider model where you would host the browser based software yourself but it's not multi tenant architecture that is what we built as one of the e governance products back then and that is what i did uh, but alejandro again uh, i made a stupid mistake of actually leaving that company in a year uh, and switch to big name brand uh, so i went to services and product implementation right i think we only connect the dots backwards like steve jobs says right uh, even though it was uh, a decision made out of probably uh, pressure from family to actually have a high earning job or other things and also a big name brand i switched there but thankfully i got into product implementations and that is what i learned for the next 9 years uh, working with global fortune 500 customers and implementing this product called ariba and later on um, in my career with this another product called vendavo the pricing implementation space but mostly on the services implementation side was what i specialized in got it got it well <laughs> Well, obviously, after this, you know, you you were you you went to TCS. You also went to Cognizant. You know, here you were doing more of what you were saying, which is global working with global customers, product implementation. But I think that this was really the segue for you to eventually start your own thing and and go at it with Chargebee. So, so tell us about that process of of really meeting your co-founders. They were working at Soho. How 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 did you guys all come together? Sure. Right. One of the co-founders. So, Chargebee is subscription management and uh, billing solution. Uh, we serve customers in fifty-three countries now, and having significant customers in sixty percent customers in North America, thirty-five percent in Europe. Right. That's global customer base that we have. But all of this comes from the knowledge of having a building a global playbook that comes from Zoho. My co-founder, one of the co-founders, is Raman. Uh, he worked at Zoho for more than ten years. He was my college classmate from engineering days. that's how all of us know each other that's a common connection where raman and i went to college together studied in the same class we were not the best of buddies back then during college days we did not we did not hang out that much but later on when he worked at zoho he we used to catch up on a regular basis and he used to share the uh, the inspiring story of how a bootstrap company from here from chennai was building a global customer base uh, and he was getting an opportunity to build products right i think uh, today zoho is 22 more than 22 years they have been building a bootstrap company with millions of customers worldwide but back then just getting a chance to do that in a industry where everybody was working in it services but these guys were getting a chance to build a, a global product was something very inspiring and we used to talk about okay save up enough so that we will give ourselves a chance to start a company at some point of time um was his advice and uh, we definitely planned uh, uh financially to make sure that we were saving up over 8 9 years to to make sure that we will give ourselves a chance because we don't have the financial background to just start a company because uh, 
typical the the aspirations of a middle class right to own a house and then get settled and things like that were normal pressures so we were saving up but we in the back of the mind we were thinking that okay we want enough to save enough so that we can do this so we were very frugal through the 8 9 years of building our career that at some point we'll quit and start right and we were planning this uh, we just did not know when but it just so happened into by 2010 2011 um, a lot of things in the market was coming together where saas was taking off the cloud infrastructure cost was coming down aws was democratizing how you could build a company from everywhere like aws heroku engineard these companies were really changing the landscape of how you can uh, have a laptop build something and then put it on the cloud and then compete globally i think that democratization process we could see the changes happening in front of our eyes by 2010 and then one of the friends uh, also started this company freshworks uh, you might know them yes he's been on the show actually <laughs> right uh, so they also come from the same zoho uh, school right which is they built uh, they learned how to build products there as well which means that when when they started in 2010 uh, raman had the pressure to either uh, join them or honor our part and start the company and of course uh, i was waiting for this opportunity and uh, uh, back in india i used to live in us and then came back to india just to make sure i don't miss out on the chance so when this opportunity came i said of course we are starting a company first thing i incorporated the company without even worrying about what's the idea <laughs> so that is what we did and then we quit and uh, figured out what to build So obviously here saving money for 8 to 9 years to really start the business I mean was it a specific amount that you guys were targeting or or was it like a specific amount of runway that you wanted to have or was it just like coming up with the right type of idea at the right yeah. time I think it's a very good question we did not have a particular target in mind it was just a question of I think we had a, a document that he shared saying I'll give you an example uh, in India at that time I think the salary was I think you will laugh if I actually tell you the salary Uh, it was roughly $300 wow i'm talking about 2002 time frame right if if you had to including uh, adjusting for inflation all of that probably some $300 $500 then per month and that's still a lot of money right and i could actually comfort and we used to live with parents and all of that and as a society this is normal for people to live with parents even till you get married or even post marriage right and uh, this is uh, and when i was still a bachelor and uh, usually with parents you can comfortably save probably 200 250 dollars out of the 500 dollars and what we used to do was make sure we signed up all our money into the similar to 401k in us right the, there are additional savings uh, options so we used to just save up money and any increment that we used to get bonus pay and all of that we used to keep away some of the money put it in mutual funds and uh, stock market and all of that but make sure that you are continuously saving and not spending the money and only keep small amount of money for yourself and then live you learn to use that right so i never bought i did not buy a car for the first 7 8 years of my career i bought a car only after my kid was born when we had a need till the time we used to go by bike uh, which is normal as well so deliberately having a frugal lifestyle generally was helpful so it was not a target as such but at the time of quitting there were some good advice available to us uh, from others uh, other entrepreneurs one person told me that make sure you have at least 36 months of runway um, but unfortunately i did not have 36 months of runway which i figured out after quitting uh, because after you start spending you realize that everything takes longer double the time yeah. and everything costs you more uh, but the advice was make sure you stay around for 36 months by the end of 36 months you are likely to figure out what to do like right? it might otherwise if you quit too soon you are likely to regret things 
you are smart enough to figure out something but just stay at it for at least 3 years was the advice but practically it's harder got it so then so then in this case what was that process for you to really uh, put this emotion and to come up with essentially what what ended up becoming church b today in t- mid 2011 when we quit and started uh, four of us all of us had resigned and joined uh, and decided to come together and just couple of weeks before starting we decided to research all the what to build right uh, we were clear about a few things one is it had to be saas because nobody else was building software any other way and we could see the trend where it's going it had to be global because that's what we understand better right and uh, it had to be b2b we come from a school of thought where we could build from smbs and then continue to move up market was something that we thought and we looked at two three spaces one was uh, performance optimization space for every saas company that was building what would the developers need so today we know this space is app dynamics data dog space where they build the tools for developers to optimize their code performance we looked at that one another idea we looked at was single sign on uh, which is the octa space uh, today we have octa which is a public company and then the other one we looked at is of course recurring payments uh, at that time we did not know the complexity of the problem but we were comfortable with picking any problem as long as it's something that every company will need in the future um, and uh, we can if we can elegantly solve it through an abstraction of the api and make it very easy so they don't have to do it themselves we figured we will find a way to find more customers and build a business and uh, thankfully we did not plan on raising capital at all so we did not have to justify a market size or we did not know any of that because we don't come we don't have mba background so we just started with what we know well which is understanding a customer problem and does it exist for a lot of people and is that something that we can bootstrap our way to success so we just used that framework to pick a problem and we just fell in love with the problem i must admit that we are boring people so we like good boring problems <laughs> Well, those are the best problems to solve. So in this case, for you guys, Chris, what ended up being the business model of, of Chargebee? How do you guys make money really here? I mean, perhaps, you know, so that the listeners get a, a good understanding. Sure. So our pricing is aligned with the growth of our customers. So we have a freemium product where you can start with us and then validate your idea up to first $50,000 of aggregate invoice of total invoice is free, right? And once somebody tests it out and by the time they get the first $50,000 of invoicing done probably they are at some 1000 2000 of recurring revenue and then they move into a $99 kind of a plan monthly plan which has a set of features that is already included in the freemium tier so they naturally upgrade to that once they grow into the next stage then they move into a $299 plan that includes that is enough to make probably uh, 1 million dollar of tier uh, right and then the next tier uh, is again an upgrade So that's how it started where we have different tiers where we align our revenue with the customers growth based on their how much they are charging their customers and we segmented by features but in hindsight i'm able to talk about it as if this is how the pricing was started and all of that but it was nothing like it right we we made lot of stupid decisions uh, to start pricing uh, in very different ways uh, where it started with a 49 dollar price for number of invoices it got wrong set of customers and a lot of mistakes uh, alejandro that probably that is of interest we can talk about but through a number of iterations and customer feedback we got to where we are uh, to find now three segments of customers right one is a startup segment which is a 0 to 1 million dollar customers 
and then our scale up segment which is a 101 to 25 million stage of customers and then the 25 million to 100 million plus customers are our grow customers that's how we internally segment our customers and uh, align ourselves with our customers uh, needs which is a startup customer may want everything self service somebody who is product market fit and growing really fast needs more additional help and also some kind of solutioning pre sales help and implementation support and subsequently the enterprise customers need the white glove service to ensure that we are bringing everything to the table including professional services implementation to help them grow so that's how we aligned ourselves with our customers uh, by their stage and that's how we make money so in this case for you guys i mean it took a little bit of time to to raise money and that's something that you had inspired yourselves with the story of soho where they bootstrapped themselves to hundreds of millions I mean, in this case, it was a couple of years, uh, and and now you guys have raised uh, quite a bit. I mean, how how much capital have you guys raised to date? After the first two years of bootstrapping, we raised uh, uh, total. We have raised is 105 million uh, of capital. The most recent round was a 55 million dollar of capital led by our existing investors. So there are four investors. Uh, initially, it was Axel and Tiger Global uh, in 2013 and 2015 investments, and later on in 2018. Three years later, we raised from Inside Venture Partners, uh, and then in 2019 from Steadview. And most recent round, uh, we just completed two, three months back, was led by all our existing investors. So so at what point did you say, okay, now we're ready to raise money? Hmm. The first round was not driven by we are ready to raise money. It was more of continuous conversations with bunch of investors, right? So while we started with four of us, and even though I come from software engineering background, uh, I had already spent 10 years in services, right? So I was not the best programmer to touch the code and I my, my co-founders wouldn't let me touch the code. So I decided to figure out everything else, like go to market, market what is marketing, sales, right? How to build that engine. And that is where, and also uh, investment and everything else. So that is where I spent most of my time learning how to uh, talk to customers and acquire customers and all of that. And in that process, I also met a bunch of investors who were keen on, thinking is this a good team to bet on and all of that even though we were not raising money they wanted to that's the vc's job right they reach out and then they want to understand if there are two good teams and it just so naturally happened that we really liked interacting with axel a lot especially uh shaker who we still work with shaker kirani on our board and he challenged us with a lot of things right why do customers want it very fundamental first principles questions about what problem are you trying to solve for them and why do they need it why can't they do it themselves and all of that good questions that challenged our assumptions and helped us think better. And this was close to a year-long relationship where we used to interact every few months. And every time we used to go back with more clarity, more proof points, and it was really helping us. And we thought, okay, so it looks like it's a hard problem to solve. By the time we were close to one and a half, two years, we realized that this is probably a large opportunity, but also a big problem to solve. And this is going to take a long time to figure out. Because the market is still not, the category is not mature, right? It's still a very nascent category. So with that realization, we decided to um, have somebody uh, as an investor who can help shape the product market fit. That's why we took money from Axel. But everything else was easier from, I meaning when I say easy, uh, was natural from that point. Once you commit to existing, uh, to taking money from investors, you have to stay committed to the path of alignment with investors, right? It's very important to do that. If you are a bootstrap founder, you have a different path. And if you take money from investors, then you have a different path that you're committing to, to figure out, can this be a large business? And that is what we set out to do. 
and uh, that put us on the path of a very interesting product market fit cycle that went for another three years where we searched for the right product market fit that would allow us to build a large company and that happened over the next three years or so so in this case i mean we we keep talking about customers and the importance of really iterating and and catering to 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 really give them the the absolute best solution that you can in this process of of really listening to your customers is there maybe like a, something that you're looking for or maybe a specific question that you typically ask where you really do a deep dive on on those answers that maybe give you the right type <laughs> of data and insights to make yeah. decisions yes so i can actually talk about people we i did not get as customers and what that really helped us there used to be this company called recruiter box i remember they evaluated charge b and they did not choose us uh, this was when we had a 49 dollar or 79 dollar entry level price point and they did not tell us why they did not choose but one year later we saw that they were doing well they had good number of customers they had good market traction so what i did was i went and met the founders to sit with them and ask them so what changed right between one year later how do you think about the decision then and why did you not choose us and how do you think about it today the answers were very insightful because they said hey at the time i did not you were one of the first product that i would have paid for because even aws was giving micro instance and i did not know if my idea has lens and i don't have any customers and you were asking me to pay 79 dollars per month and now uh, and i thought okay this is something that i can build myself and then so i decided to build the code myself on top of payment gateway and one year later now i realize i have done so much of work on top of that which i shouldn't have done and now for me to scale from here to the next stage probably the effort is going to be more but my problems are different now i have to spend all my developer time in my building my product i think in hindsight it might have made sense i should have probably gone with you maybe the effort i have spent is more but at that time it felt like it was still even 99 dollar looked like a lot of money so it was very insightful to understand the mindset of a very early stage customer where there is no money available uh, and no customers available and even 99 dollar looks like a lot of money compared to somebody even with a few thousand dollars in revenue suddenly they feel comfortable with this is not the most important problem saving 99 dollar is not the most important problem but they want the best solution right they don't want a cheap solution they want the best solution that would allow them to scale if everything works so just trying to understand the nuances of how an entrepreneur is thinking in the early stage versus somebody who is scaling would think um, all of that really help another customer was concord now i was a charge b customer but we had very similar journey where they also started in 2010 or 2011 time frame the company was also i think was named differently french company and i remember a call where we, they asked for a discount on a uh, $79 and $99 product and i gave them some discount $20 discount and then got them on board and they implemented it one or two years later i met uh, matthew uh, matt lomio uh, in his office and uh, he said hey krish don't charge me more because i'm going to tell you something that uh, i shouldn't be saying but maybe you should have charged me $1000 a month because that's how much value i'm able to assign today in terms of effort that uh, i don't have to put in to maintain this maybe you should have charged more maybe it could have helped with credibility and it was very interesting observation coming from a customer who is teaching you something about the perception right so these kind of continuous customer conversations where you try to 
understand how you they think about you right then versus now and the ones who actually choose you even the customers who are not choosing you just trying to understand these things have been very helpful to learn first principles alejandro yeah well, i mean 100% but it's interesting you know those insights you know as to how sometimes when you charge a bit more it can give the the social proof or the credibility so that you're not seen as the cheap option kind of thing no correct correct because it's also the nature of the solution right because it's a b2b solution and they want the best solution for their product so nothing will go wrong in their customer experience so they are looking for the best solution available in the market so it's very important to be able to relate to it and think about the emotions of a decision process and not just the analytical mathematical way of proving this is the right solution so so in this case i mean you guys have raised quite a bit you know you're now in in scaling mode you know growth stage mode what what was it was it that challenging going from like the early stage phase to to the growth stage phase how how was that for you guys <laughs> it never gets easier right once you establish product market fit um, so based on all this feedback we established free we introduced freemium but we also had our premium pricing for the larger customers service offerings and all of that so getting to the first million was a very interesting path where you try to get any customer as your customer right and then when you have enough data of few hundred customers it's very important for me the biggest it was very important to understand who are your most important customers from that first 200 customers because maybe your next 200 customers should be similar to the the 20 or 40 customers that you have today right and not all your 100 or 200 customers are your best customers instead you have to understand which of this 200 customers that i have which 20 or 40 do i want more of and then we have to fine tune the go to market engine to ensure that we are finding more of them to find the next 1000 customers similar to them and that is what gets a flywheel going where they stay longer with you they use your product more they pay you more and you build a machine where you are able to grow with them where the customer demands more from you and you want to align the product roadmap from a for a customer who wants more from you and they will also be willing to pay more and this flywheel effect of figuring out requires us to introspect through data and many a times right uh, if we miss out on understanding the existing customers and think about we are not, so it's very important for founders to actually acknowledge that maybe it's very hard for us to uh, be everything for everybody right we are going to be everything for somebody but it's very important to find out who those somebody are and that requires us to introspect i think that is what we went through in 2016 and we found the the types of customers who consume our api uh, they have developers they have a cto and they like using the product and they have the ambition to build a large business those are the types of customers for which our product was most suited not for somebody who is saying i want to build a micro business which probably will only have 10 clients or 100 clients right not for a service business like that so it was very important for us to understand the distinction between these two and then drive our entire focus towards that type of customer that allowed us to go from 1 to 5 million in five quarters then we continued doubling from there every year in terms of team revenue and the process volume and all of Yeah and 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 then the other thing you know you were alluding to team I wanted to ask you here what's the size of the company today I mean any any numbers that you can share perhaps say team members sure. or anything else Sure uh, so we we process 3.5 billion dollars of ARR of our customers annually and uh, that's growing at about 100% uh, year on year and we are a team of 450 people 
with more than 375 people all over india and then about 50 people now in us 50 or yeah 50 odd people there and then we also have a team in europe uh, before covid i used to say san francisco salt lake city amsterdam and chennai but now it's distributed pretty much people are at their homes and now it's more globally distributed we also have a few team members in australia so the customer base is global uh, in 53 countries and now the employees are also global everywhere uh, a team of 450 people that's an incredible incredible growth that uh, that you guys are experiencing krish i mean very very well done so so i guess uh, now you know imagine that you go to bed tonight and you sleep for five years and you wake up in a world where the vision of Chargebee is fully realized. What, what does that world look like? The reason we started the company was to learn how to build a good product organization, right? That is people-centric. I think, you know, five years from now, if we, uh, I think one thing that I missed telling is there are more than 25 ex-founders uh, who are part of Chargebee, right? Uh, And I think it's very important to preserve the entrepreneurial culture. So in five years, what would look like success is more companies, more founders who actually go out and build companies out of charge B uh, would be phenomenal. And probably we have also built uh, several hundred million dollars in revenue and have built a, an engine, an institution that can sustain beyond us, I think will be phenomenal. Uh, and hopefully, I think the bigger success will be more people who learned how to build products from here. and go on to build uh, uh, bigger impactful companies i think will be even more beautiful alha i love it so now imagine that we go into the time machine and we go back to 2011 to that moment where you and your co-founders were thinking about doing something obviously it has been an incredible ride for you guys you know the ups the downs the good the bad and the ugly of, of building and scaling a business because it's not a It's not a straight line, you know, it's not what people would typically read on the on the media with all the big numbers and all of that. Uh, there's a lot of sweat and tears that goes into it. So 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 basically if you could speak to that younger Chris and give that younger Chris one piece of business advice given, you know, this incredible journey and and all the knowledge that you've been able to 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 gather. I mean, what would be that one piece of advice before launching a business that you would give to your younger self and why, knowing what you know? understanding that growth creates opportunities is one piece of advice i would give to the younger krish what i mean is if you prioritize achieving certain numbers right put in front of you and try to achieve those goals uh, however difficult it is it aligns everybody towards in one direction otherwise we assume that all of us are in working in the same direction right but speed is not velocity right and Um, we may be moving in different directions even though it's just a few founders starting so i if there is one thing i would actually advise it is to prioritize growth just to put some number in front of you and then work towards that instead of thinking you have forever to actually try and do things because there is a limited amount of energy that is there with us it's very important to prioritize and create an impact however that is right it can be about building a happy small company or building a large company but having that alignment co-founder alignment and making sure you are able to prioritize uh, growth uh, is one piece of advice i would absolutely i mean without alignment there is there's nothing so chris for the folks that are listening what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi my twitter handle is uh, cb chris charlie bravo chris uh, that's my twitter handle and uh, my first name chris at charlie.com is my email 
Fantastic. Well, Chris, thank you so much for being on the DealMaker Show today. Thank you so much for having me, Alejandro. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to AlejandroCremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.